Hello, everyone, and good morning. My name is Randy Gibbons, Head of Maritime Shipping Equity Research at Jefferies. Today, I'll be interviewing Charles Mulsey, CEO of Epic Gas, as part of the Capital Link Master Series podcast series. Hey, Charles, how are you? Very good, thanks, uh, Randy. Good morning. Excellent. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Looking forward to our uh, conversation here. So, before we talk about the future of the LPG shipping industry, let's first discuss kind of the current state of the small LPG shipping market and, and how we got here. So, spot rates have rallied pretty significantly over the last two years with average rates for your fleet specifically going from $7,400 a day in the third quarter of 2016 to $10,100 a day in the third quarter of 2018. So, what caused this rally over the past two years? Yeah, thanks, Randy. Um, well, we've seen the market uh, gradually recovering on the back of improving supply and demand fundamentals. So uh, in 2014, 15, 16, and early 17, we saw a large uh, number of new bills coming into the sector, which more than offset what was actually quite robust uh, demand growth, which was averaging uh, around about 6% a year, year on year on year, over the same period of time. But uh, as we came into 17, the, uh, the number of new builds has eased, and uh, that's obviously then led to a correction in the rates uh, for the market. Excellent. Makes sense. Now, touching uh, a little more on the kind of upcoming demand drivers for the market. So, Epic shifts very diverse. You know, there were over 700 port calls or so in, in 3Q18. So, what is the geographical and commodity mix for the global LPG trade, and how does this compare with Epic Gas's geographical and commodity mix? Yeah, so uh, if we look at global uh, LPG production, there's uh, just over 300 million tons a year of global LPG uh, production. And then uh, just over 90 million tons of that, maybe uh, heading towards 100 million tons in the next year or so, is, is uh, seaborne uh, movement of LPG. And uh, that primarily comes from the, pr uh, the primary producing areas for LPG, which is similar to the primary producing areas for oil and natural gas, so North America, the Middle East, uh, and uh, Russia. And uh, also out of uh, refineries where oil is um, refined, uh, you get LPG as a byproduct there. So we're loading from uh, the primary producing areas and the primary refining areas, and then we're discharging into um, developing economies all over the world. And uh, that gives us obviously a very wide range of ports. So we've got around about 13% uh, of our fleet in the Americas. 48% in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and about 40% in, in Asia. Uh, so very widespread. And uh, the number of ports we call is is much higher than that of the VLGCs, to say, for instance. Uh, the VLGCs maybe have 150 ports globally they can call. We have uh, around about 400. And that's just because of the size of the ports. There's obviously more uh, smaller ports than there are larger ports. But that also gives us um, some flexibility in... Uh, where we can trade and uh, an earnings floor in that we can move our ships from one area to another if there's seasonality or regional demand affecting the rates. Um, of, of the volumes we carry, um, we're moving around about 2 to 3 million tons a year of total product and about 75% of that is LPG and 25% of it is petrochemical cargo such as propylene. Hmm. Okay. And you mentioned there kind of the, the port size um, being a restriction for some of the larger vessels. So 
do you foresee ports possibly increasing their size and they may be dredging for larger ships that could push out some of the smaller ships uh, from the market in the future? Uh, kind of what are your thoughts on port expansion plans globally? Well, that, that's constantly happening. Um, and uh, sometimes we're the, obviously the beneficiaries of that in that, uh, say, for instance, um, by, by the nature of what we're carrying, we're carrying LPG which usually ends up in bottles of some form at some point, so bottled gas. And that means we're usually going into a developing economy, and that means we're usually going into new or young or small ports. And uh, there's new demand popping up for LPG all over the place. So we do pick up, obviously, new ports uh, for LPG. And then, as you say, the ports expand, they get dredged, and uh, we can grow with them, which is one of the reasons why uh, we have the full range of pressurized LPG ships from 3,000 up to 11,000 cubic meter. So uh, maybe the first few years we're looking at three or 5,000 cubic meter vessels, and then we move into the 7s, the 9s, and then the 11s. So we can upsize as the uh, ports upsize. And yes, it is then possible that they uh, move into... Uh, semi-refs uh, or larger, but that does then require a significant investment, not just in the port, but also in the infrastructure on the shore, in that you then move into refrigerated storage uh, and a more sophisticated pipeline and uh, delivery uh, infrastructure on the shore side, uh, and that requires significant investment. So, so often that doesn't happen. It, it also depends on the uh, population density of the country in which you're dealing. Okay, and then I guess one more demand question, and this one's been pretty well covered in the news recently, but how will the upcoming OPEC production cuts affect the LPG trade in and out of the Middle East? Yeah, I think it's going to take some time to, to really flow through. But um, from our perspective, uh, maintaining a uh, slightly more controlled supply of oil and gas uh, is, is good because it, it helps to balance the price at a slightly higher level, hopefully. And uh, ultimately, we're beneficiaries of increasing supply um, or investment into new oil and new gas uh, production. So that should hopefully, because the price is higher, lead to uh, increased long-term production of gas and oil. And that will lead to increased demand for our vessels. But um, in the Middle East in particular, uh, we're not, um, as Epic Gas, particularly involved in the large markets, the large volume LPG out of, say, Qatar. Uh, that's not the typical trade for us. We're more involved in the niche trades out of, say, Iraq. Um, and uh, that, that volume we don't anticipate uh, reducing. So uh, for us, it's, it's all fine. Sure. All right, well, yeah, it seems like demand is, is pretty stable and growing. But now switching gears over to LPG shipping supply. So after fleet growth in 9% in, in 2015, another 6% in 2017, another 4% in 2017, uh, the small pressurized LPG order book is now down to only about 3% of the fleet. So with that, almost 10% of the small size LPG fleet is over 25 years of age. Pretty good candidates for scrapping there. So... With that, two questions. First, why do you think the order book has gotten this low, down to 3% of the overall fleet? And what has caused the lack of new building ordering recently? Do you think it, it will stay below this 5% in the coming years? Yeah, so uh, wh why are we down to uh, such a low level? I think there's been a lot of new builds 
uh, in the last few years, and we've seen a large growth. And uh, the entire sector has realized that uh, the consequence of that were lower rates in the sector. And uh, indeed, we've had rates in 2016 coming into 17, where we were at 15-year lows. So uh, that's led to an element of caution uh, when placing further new build orders. And that 3% is obviously uh, 1% a year. It's not 3% in one year. It's 1% a year for the next few years. Um, and then we also look at, look at the, uh, the, the yard capacity. So uh, the primary building country for pressurized LPG is Japan and the Japanese yards. They do have a choice over what they build. They can build uh, pressurized LPG ships or they can build chemical tankers, uh, product tankers, reefer vessels, and so on. And, and so they've seen different uh, uh, demand curves for different types of ships, and that's tempted them into building different uh, different vessels, which is good news from our point of view. Uh, and then the pricing has also not been the sharpest in the last couple of years due to the yen uh, dollar exchange rate and uh, due to the increasing pressures on the costs that go into building new ships, whether that's a steel price, which comes out of the iron ore price, which have been higher or uh, new engine designs or meeting uh, IMO requirements for Tier 3 uh, vessel designs, um, which are also now coming into um, legal force. So that, that's changing the, uh, the cost element of the ships that we're seeing out of Japan. So it's not the, the cheapest pricing right now, um, and that puts us off uh, rushing to, and when I say us, that's the sector, uh, from rushing to build more vessels. Makes sense. Uh, and with such a small order book and a lot of those older vessels um, still operating out there, what are your fleet growth expectations uh, for maybe 2019? Could the fleet possibly contract? Absolutely. Um, there's um, been some fairly steady scrapping um, over the last three to four years. And if anything, it's been picking up as the rates have recovered. And it's, I think that's there shouldn't you know it's, it's the wrong correlation to say rates are going up, so more ships are getting scrapped. It's also an illogical correlation. I think if you look at the legacy of when the fleet was built, it's a relatively young fleet, um, as or a relatively young sector, let's call it, in that pressurized LPG as a sector only existed in a very small way back in the 1980s and the 90, early 1990s. And there was a significant build-out of tonnage as you went through the 1990s. And it's now those ships that are coming into the 25 to 30 years of age. And that's leading to a larger pool of vessels that could be scrapped and actually is being scrapped now. And then at the same time, we've got the semi-ref sector, the smaller vessel semi-ref sector, which is also aging as quickly uh, as the uh, pressurized fleet. And when those vessels are scrapped, there are no new builds uh, to replace them. So the pressurized fleet is also gaining incremental demand growth from the scrapping of the small semi-ref sector. So we think it's quite plausible that there'll be net negative fleet growth uh, this year, next year, and maybe the year after. That's right. Okay. Now back to Epic Gas uh, and your fleet specifically. You know, you mentioned obviously Epic Gas focuses solely on the smaller, fully pressurized uh, market with a fleet of 38 fully pressurized LPG carriers. Now, 32 are owned and six are time chartered in. So, how do you decide between that balance of buying vessels versus chartering in vessels? I think the, pr the primary driver has to be cost. So you have to look at uh, what is the cost of a new build right now, a second-hand vessel right now, and then the cost of how you finance that vessel. And uh, do you choose to finance it through a traditional debt equity structure 
or do you look at a, a, the more modern sort of stale and leaseback uh, structure or chartered relationship? Whichever gives us access to a vessel long term at uh, the lowest price possible. It's also important, though, to have an element of uh, control over the fleet. And in order to have control, it is useful to own a percentage of your fleet, I think. And it gives you better access to the financing banks and so on as well. But um, for us, we look at it very much on a case of what's the most cost-effective way of controlling high-quality tonnage for the long term. And it just comes down to the cost that, uh, of a time charter ship versus a airboat ship versus a straightforward-owned vessel. Okay. Now, segue on that controlling of your fleet. You know, you seem to be focused on the 7,000 to 11,000 uh, cubic meter segment and with roughly 30% of the market share. So kind of why is this and should we expect future epic growth to, to come in that segment? I think what's most important for a shipping company is that you have really solid long-term control of high-quality, safe, young vessels. And that then gives you two to three market cycles, maybe more, in order to run that fleet, maximize the earnings, minimize the costs, and, uh, and then also to time your exit on the asset as it gets to, towards being a few years older. So uh, that's partly what's driven our investment into the larger vessels, because we wish to future-proof our investments. And that We recognize that all shipping sectors gradually upsize in time. Uh, what was a handy-sized bulk carrier in uh, the turn of the century it was 28,000 dead weight, dead weight, and it's now 38 to 40,000 dead weight, and it's the same for pressurized LPG. What was a, a sort of normal-sized vessel at the turn of the century would have been a three and a half to 5,000 cube, and we're now ready with the seven to the 11,000 cubes uh, as the market upsizes. But also, it's, it's, it's around the OPEX, in that. Uh, a typical average OPEX for our vessel is about $4,000 a day, and it doesn't matter whether it's a 3,000 cube or an 11,000 cube. There's only about a 10% margin on that, whereas obviously the revenues can vary considerably. Uh, revenues from 11,000 cube can be as high in the spot market as, say, $20,000 a day, whereas for a uh, 3,000 cube, it's more like uh, eight, nine, $10,000 a day. Hmm. Okay, got it. Well, now let's, let's take a step back and look at the global economic picture. With fears on Wall Street of a looming recession or economic downturn around the corner, uh, how much do macro factors affect your fleet and cash flow generation? Is Epic Gas concerned about a downturn in the near or medium term, or is Epic semi-insulated, let's say, uh, due to its time charters? I think, um, firstly, uh, you know, LPG... Is, a, is one of the uh, environmental fuels of the future. So we feel that uh, we, by investing in tonnage to move that commodity, we're investing in a commodity that can thrive through any macroeconomic picture in its underlying long-term demand. Uh, so that's part of uh, why we're invested in, into LPG. Uh, secondly, uh, it's really important that we focus on building a business that can thrive in any market circumstance. So, for instance, should there be a, a negative market correction because of the, the, macro, the, the macro picture, then we should be using that to invest into tonnage uh, and growing the business on the asset side, um, which is what we've been doing effectively in the last three to four years, is using uh, the, the lower market to, to build cheaper vessels and to grow our fleet with assets at uh, bottom of market pricing. 
and the same opportunity could arise if the market moves down again. But um, it's also, of course, useful to have higher market times uh, in order to generate cash uh, for the future. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, speaking of cash, you know, putting all this together, investors want you to show them the money, right? So Epic has earned over 9000 a day over the last 12 months. Uh, so how does this compare to your average OPEX or break-even rate? And lastly, kind of what are your base case and best case scenarios for average day rates in 2019? And what would those rates equate to on an EBITDA basis? So kind of break-even levels, expectations for uh, day rates, and then EBITDA for 2019. Yeah. So the focus is, is very much on us to prove uh, our business model, I think, at this point. That, that's where uh, the pressure is on us. Uh, historically, uh, the um, business of Epic Gas, we're a young business, and so we haven't had the, uh, the, the benefit of history to show what we can do in a good or improving or better or even high-case market. So it's difficult for investors to judge us, and that's part of... Uh, the, the, the learning experience we're all going through is being able to say, well, look, in a bad market, this is what happens in an average market. This is what happens in a good market. Isn't it fantastic? So we're in that stage now of moving from a bad market to a good market to a fantastic market. Uh, and yes, our, our average OPEX is about $4,000 a day. Our average SDNA is about $1,000 a day. So our earnings uh, of 9000 uh, is clearly showing that we've got some margin above our base costs. And uh, we would expect that the rates can continue to move up. Um, the EBITDA we earned in Q3 this year was just under $14 million, which was uh, over double uh, what we earned in 2017. So uh, you can see that uh, we've got potential to push the EBITDA up to uh, the mid-50s, uh, even $60 million, if the market stays at today's levels as compared to our 2017 full-year EBITDA of just under $30 million. So it's almost a doubling year on year. Wow. All right. Good, good, uh, good trajectory for sure. Uh, so I guess in conclusion, kind of wrapping up, I'd like to give you the opportunity to talk about the competitive advantages of, of Epic Gas. So how do you differ from other LPG shippers, such as Dorian or Navigator or Stealth Gas, um, and then is the market missing something maybe about your company, or do you feel that Wall Street and investors understand your story and have gotten it right? Yeah, I think this, this is touching also on uh, what I was uh, mentioning in, in, uh, a few seconds ago. It's, it's, the, the focus is, is really uh, is on us to prove that our business model is working now, and we've used the last four to five years to grow our business and to, to deliver a platform and uh, to deliver scale uh, where we now have 15% market share uh, of the pressurized LPG sector, uh, and we've also built a business uh, with an average fleet size that is larger than uh, historical comparisons that can be, can be made. So we're driving a different business into a stronger market uh, ahead of us. When it comes to benchmarking, um, for instance, uh, we're very customer-focused in how we do business. We don't um, mind whether we do time charter, voyage charter, COA, uh, single fixture, floating rate, fixed rate, index rate uh, with our customers. What's most important for us is that we understand uh, what the customer needs and we work with them for the long term to deliver a growing business for them, which hopefully benefits us with a growing business as well. And I think that's one of the, the biggest differentiating factors we have is getting out and sitting down with customers and really understanding their business and uh, helping them to grow. 
Sure. And then kind of lastly, what are your thoughts around consolidation um, in the sector? Consolidation in, in, in any shipping sector, I think, is good. The pressures are really on um, any ship owner right now to uh, minimize costs, maximize their investment into digital uh, IT, uh, environmental, uh, technological improvements, whether that's ballast water treatment systems, scrubbers, um, low sulfur fuel, tier three designs, uh, and so on. And uh, it's very difficult if you're a small ship owner to, to make the, the maths add up. So the more you, uh, consolidation, the better. And that then enables us to then roll out on the customer side and deliver a global business with high-quality ships for a customer anywhere in the world at, uh, at a good to low cost. Sure. Makes perfect sense. All right, well, hey, thanks again for joining me today, Charles. Really enjoyed discussing the LPG shipping market as well as kind of the strategic position of Epic Gas. Thanks very much, Randy, for the questions. Really appreciate the chance to discuss the business. Absolutely, yeah. And thanks to all who joined us for today's Tapolink Master Series podcast. If you have any questions about the shipping markets, feel free to reach out to me at rgivens at jeffreys.com. Have a blessed day.